Welcome to Calvary Ministries, Calvary Apostolic Ministries. I wonder if I ever shared with you why we have named our ministry Calvary Apostolic Ministries. Several years ago, my son in the Lord, Pastor Jacob Isaac, was asked by a colleague of his, why do you call your church Calvary Ministries? And um, he came back to me and he said to me, why do, you, why do you always name your churches and your ministry after Calvary? Uh, the guy that asked me, he felt that we have to move on, you know. Calvary is a, is a place of shame. And I said, no, brother. The reason why we name our ministry after Calvary is for the simple reason. There is where our Father, our God, judged His Son in our place. There is where our light changes for the better. At the cross, amen, when you come to the cross and you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you change your cross for a crown as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It might be a place of suffering for Jesus, but for you and I, it's a place of blessing. It's through Calvary, it's through the cross that we have the born again experience. Then why have we named our ministry also apostolic? Are we saying that we are apostles? No, we are not saying that. But what we are saying is that our ministry is apostolic. In fact, all ministry should be apostolic because the command is to go into all the world. Amen. We have traveled, and thank God, uh, we're not traveling at this point in time, but it doesn't mean that our ministry stands still. It doesn't stagnate. What we do still can go into the world through our website. So we believe maybe <laughs> we're not apostolic in the sense having an office as such, but our ministry is apostolic in that it reaches out to the world. Then ministries. The word ministries, as far as I can remember, and I need to do another a fresh word study on it, it means to help, to assist. And our whole aim is to help the church of Christ, Christ to strengthen the body of Christ with our preachings and our teachings. Now, I mentioned purposely uh, the word preaching before teaching because this is how we ought to minister God's word. Paul says, I'm first a preacher, then I am a teacher. Amen. So that is the reason why we have uh, entitled our ministry Calvary Apostolic Ministries. Remember? Amen? It's the place of suffering for Jesus Christ. But for you and I, it's the place of blessing. There's where we change our rags for riches. There is where God dispels our evil spirit and grants us a new spirit. There is where we are born again at Calvary. And then apostolic. Amen? Amen? Others might not view us as being apostles, having offices 
of governance as such, but we believe we are, we are apostolic in the sense that our ministry, our intention is that it will reach the world because Jesus said, go into all the world. And then last but not least, the word ministry means to help. And our aim and our goal is to help you, to mold and to shape you and to mature you in the things of God. Now, praise God for all that. But I need to apologize. I've got some apologies to make. Now, the first apology that I have to make is that I don't live up to my promises. <clears throat> I remember when I'd done um, the first video and the second video on Jonah, the disobedient uh, servant of God. I had said that, uh, rather the disobedient prophet, I had said that after concluding the second video that next week I will teach on this, that and the other. And you know what? I never. Rather, I've done a new study, and that being whether drinking is permissible or not for Christians. So I need to apologize. Sometimes I say things, and I mean what I say, but sadly, I don't live up to it. And I think it's a, it's a weakness that I need to pray about, and that you also need to pray about. So I'm sorry for making you wait thus long, although God had moved me to do a teaching on whether drinking alcohol is permissible or not. Then there's another apology, and I'm sad to say it's quite an embarrassment for me. I have been listening to some of the videos, and I picked up that my speech, there is an impediment of late. And that's simply because I have false teeth, a top set uh, of false teeth, and my bottom set, it's my own teeth with that gap. And sometimes the words that I want to say and say clearly, they don't come precisely over. So I apologize, please. But I'm trusting God to correct that if God gives me the honor and privilege of going back home to South Africa next year. It's far cheaper to have your teeth done in South Africa than having it done here in New Zealand. So please forgive me about it, the slight impediments. Then there's another apology, and that is, I have made no effort to follow good teaching standards. And I, I want to apologize for this, and let me explain what I mean. Whenever you teach God's Word, especially when you teach a book, you have to follow a chronological sequence. Step one, step two, step three. Let me give you an example. The baby crawls, walks, and then runs. And what I've done, <laughs> I, <laughs> I bypassed those steps and I, I just went into the book of Jonah without doing a, a, a synopsis and outline. And it's very good to do an outline first because it lays the premise for teaching. And sad to say, I've done two videos two sets of preaching and teaching on Jonah without giving you a, a, a good premise, a good foundation as such uh, for the book of Jonah. But this morning, I've repented. Hallelujah. I've repented, and I'm going to give you a synopsis, a brief outline on the book of Jonah. Now, I've done some reading, some research. I must admit, not at death because God had spoken to me much about this book. This might shock you, but in the past two years, I've read this book over a hundred times. I've read it over and over and over in one sitting, sometimes 10 times in one sitting. Other than that, I prayed over it 
in tongues as I, as I trusted God to take this word uh, and put it into my spirit. And the outline that I'm going to convey to you is my personal outline. Okay, chapter 1, the omission of the commission. Remember, Jonah was commissioned by God to go to Nineveh. But he doesn't heed. He doesn't heed the mission from God. He omits the mission. Then chapter 2, the prayer of distress. You know, it's sad, but it is true that when things are going well, you know, our prayer life diminishes. But when we falter and we fail, and God brings about circumstances to turn us back to Him, oh, that's the time we become very spiritual. That's the time we pray. And may I add, all of us are like this, and I feel <laughs> it's a good time to pray. When God brings, brings circumstances upon our life, that God might bring us back to His will. Then, chapter 3, the gracious God of second chances. You know, often we fail, falter, and we fall short. But whenever our heart is repentant towards God, God will always give us another chance. And yes, we do hear that God is a God of second chances, but I believe of third and fourth and fifth chances. We are not perfect people. And, you know, when I look to Ian, who I love dearly, uh, I look upon Ian as a son, and Ian looks upon, upon me as a spiritual father, and he loves me. We love each other. We miss each other during the week. Now and again, I'll phone him, and, uh, and he'll phone me, and the first thing I'll ask him, hey, what did you have for supper? I'm always concerned about what he's eating. But, you know, we, 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 we love each other, and, and, and we, 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 we care for each other. And when I look at Ian, you know, my mind looks for the perfect things in his life. When Ian looks at me, he looks for the perfect things in my life. And often because of the idiosyncrasies and the shortcomings, spiritual shortcomings in Ian's life and my life, we are a disappointment to, to each other. But because we love each other, you know, our love covers uh, that multitude of shortcomings and failures. But you know, when God looks at man, he doesn't concentrate on our faults and failures and our spiritual idiosyncrasies. God concentrates on the potential in us that leads to perfection. There's no perfect man of God. But you know what? If we falter and fail and we cry to God in our despair and our despondency, God will hear our cries and God will will pour out His grace and mercy upon us to give us another opportunity to serve Him. Then, last but not least, chapter 4. An environmentalist or a preacher? Envi an environmentalist or a preacher? When you study chapter 4, you find that <laughs> Jonah cares more for this gourd, this massive plant that God had created to be a, a, a shade over him. And uh, he doesn't really care about the Ninevites. He's more concerned about that creation that was with him, but for a day and a night. And it's sad, you know, that 
as ministers, as the people of God, we get caught up with this, that, and the other. We join this committee and that committee, save the whale, uh, feed the poor. And I believe we've got to do these things. We, 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 someone said that the church is not a benevolent society. I disagree. When we read uh, Paul's uh, uh, encounter with the apostles, uh, at Jerusalem, they told him, "Do this, do that, do that, and don't forget the poor." Yes, we are. We are not to forget the poor. We've got to involve ourselves in the community. But understand, whatever we involve ourselves in, it's for the purpose of advancing the gospel. And I'm sad to say, there are many, many denominations that that overextend their work in the community basing it entirely upon good works. Well, yes, we've got to help the poor. We've got to clothe the needy. The Bible does say we must visit those in hospital and in prison. We've got to do all that. But what I'm saying is this. Our emphasis is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I just got an a, 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 a email uh, from South Africa. Save the rhino. Yes, we need to save the rhino. And sad to say, millions and millions have been poured therein to save the rhino. But how many millions have been poured in to, to, to save the, 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 the undone, those who are far from God, the lost? So please, don't take this as an offense, but we're going to make up our mind. We're going to make up our mind. And, and too many pastors, I'm sad to say, they belong to this committee, that committee, this committee, and that committee. And you know what? Because they're so committified, they're hardly in the presence of God. Amen? And um, uh, the other thing that, that also uh, uh, just been dropped into my spirit, whether it's the Lord or not, you judge. But you know, uh, as men of God, we're too quick to involve ourselves in this protest and that protest. We want to have our say. We want to throw our ticket in the plate. And... I, 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 I do, I, I'm of the persuasion that God hasn't called me to protest. God has called me to pray. Protest doesn't, doesn't change things. It is, it is what? It is what? Prayer. You might, uh, like many, uh, many, many uh, do these days, they, they use Jericho as, uh, as an example for protesting. No, 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 no. You can't use that. It's totally a different picture altogether. But let me close now and say I trust that you've got a blessing from my personal outline of Jonah. Let me reiterate it. Chapter 1, the omission of the commission. Chapter 2, the prayer of distress. Chapter 3, the gracious God of second chances. And chapter 4, environmentalist or preacher. Amen. So I trust that you have been blessed by the outline. Now, that has been my personal outline, the synopsis of the book of Jonah. This is how God deals with me concerning the book of Jonah. Yes, I've studied it. I've consulted various expositions of the book of Jonah. But much what is contained in these teachings is personal. That which I believe God has laid upon my spirit. And you being the judge whether God has spoken to me and he's speaking through me. Test the spirits as I teach 
on the book of Jonah. Now, whenever you do a biblical character study, bear in mind that God is very gracious unto you and I. God does in no way hide the faults and failures and strengths of his servants. He discloses all of his servants in the word of God. When I say all, I don't mean every detail of the life of the men of God. But he shows us their shortcomings, their failures, their sins, and their strength. And we ought to ask ourselves the questions. Why does God expose his servants? Well, for this simple reason. I believe we have to chew the meat and throw away the bones. If we chew the meat and we chew the bones, then we're going to cause chaos to our body. We're going to injure ourselves. Now, with that analogy in mind, God exposes all of his servants that you and I might not emulate their weaknesses, their faults and their failures, their follies and their sins. God shows us their good and their bad, and God wants us to emulate their good and not their bad. But I remember one man of God saying this, that although God exposes the shortcomings and strengths of his servants, it's rather always best not to concentrate on their character because their character has flaws. We need to put our attention upon the perfect one, and that is Jesus Christ. We ought to emulate Christ and not the servants of God. And too often we walk in other people's shoes. Like David, we must discard the 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 the, 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 the garments of warfare that Saul had placed upon him. We must trust God explicitly to help us shape our own character. And that is why God is explicit about the lifestyle of all his Bible characters. God wisely makes an open show of their strengths and weaknesses. And for the simple reason that we need not adopt those weaknesses as such. God openly declares all of his servants, their faults and failure, that we might, as I said earlier on, chew the meat and throw away the bones. There's only truly one person in God's word that we should emulate. And as I said also previously, none other than Jesus Christ. He alone is perfect. And that is why we are to be very selective as we study God's great men. A classic example, or rather examples, of Samson, a strong man, but weak towards the opposite sex. Jonah, a servant of God, but sadly a nationalist. nationalist. We can go on and on and expose the shortfalls. However, let us discard God's servant's spiritual idiosyncrasies and rather concentrate on their spiritual strengths this morning. Let us apply the strong characteristics of self-discipline and dedication to God and His service, service that we might become stronger men and women of God. Now, 
Listen carefully to a brief, a brief background to who Jonah is. The Bible declares that he's the son of Amittai. Now, when you make a spiritual application of the name, the name Amittai, the father of Jonah, according to the Hebrew Strong's Concordance number 571 and 573, it means ferocious, V-E-R-A-C-I-O-U-S, ferocious. That's how you pronounce it, Ian? I think so. Yeah, all right. And it means truthful, accurate, credible, unwilling to tell a lie. Now, if this was the meaning of the name of the father of Jonah, I get the understanding that he was raised, that Jonah was raised in an environment of truth. No wonder he became a mouthpiece for God, a prophet of God. How true is the scripture? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from that. That is found in Proverbs 22, 6. And Jonah, the name means dove, which speaks of peace and gentleness. Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. Now, the purpose of the book is imperative. We've got to study it and understand it. Purpose number one, to show Israel, and that using Jonah as an example, how they had failed in their God-given call to convert the nations. Let me read it again. To show Israel, and that using Jonah as an example, how they had failed in their God-given call to convert the nations. Isaiah 42, 6-7 and 49, 6 says this, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise the tribes of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation to the end of the earth. Then, another purpose of the book, to, the, to declare that God is no respecter of persons. His love goes beyond His covenant people. It reaches out to all humanity, all those even outside of the covenant. And then number three, to show forth the power of repentance. That is purpose number three of the writing of the book of Jonah. To show forth the power of repentance. It has the ability and capability to change the heart of God. Now listen carefully. I want to shock you with the word. It causes God to repent from pouring out his judgment and instead sharing the repentance with grace and mercy. The word repent I'll be dealing with later on. But it speaks of the compassion of God. Amen. So the book shows that when people repent, it changes the heart of God from impending judgment to future mercy and grace. 
There are those, uh, let's speak about the validity of the book of Jonah. Whether or not it is truly the word of God. What we read there did it really happen. There are those, sad to say, within the church that are of the persuasion that the book of Jonah is nothing less than an allegory, a parable, a metaphor, a story. They do not view the book of Jonah as a historical account. Others, on the other hand, find it difficult to believe that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish and lived in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. They teach that the ship named Whale rescued Jonah from the raging sea. Now, there's a simple way to refute all this doubt and unbelief, and that is to ask the question, what does Jesus have to say about Jonah? Was it a myth? Was it an allegory? Or was it a historical fact according to Jesus? Listen to the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 to 41. But he, Jesus, answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus, in these verses, speaks of being in Sheol after his crucifixion for three days and three nights. Jesus uses Jonah's experience in speaking of his own experience in Sheol. Just as Jonah was released from the large fish, so, was Je so did Jesus come out of Israel. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, listen to what I'm going to say now. It's imperative, it's vital, it's important. The cornerstone of Christian doctrine that makes it totally different to all other religions is that Jesus died and rose triumphantly over sin and death. All religions, in my thinking, are usually morally sound. No religion is going to tell you to commit adultery, to murder or rape. They set forth good patterns for life. However, there's only one religion, only one, that speaks of a Savior that died and rose triumphantly over death. This is what makes Christianity so totally and completely different to all religions. Jesus died, but praise God, praise God, he rose from the dead. Amen. Blessed be the name of, of the Lord. Now, if what I've said is just true, that Jesus uses the experience of Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. He uses that to describe his experience. And if the resurrection, and if the resurrection is the cornerstone of Christian doctrine, doesn't this add validity and credence to the book of Jonah? There should be no doubt that it truly happened because the cornerstone of our faith is the resurrection.
And Jesus would not use Jonah's experience to validify, to validify his experience. So, brethren, I believe that the book of Jonah is an historical account. Now, let's consider the theme of the book. That is the ultimate purpose, the central truth. I believe that the central truth of the book of Jonah is God's grace and mercy being extended to all those who repent. Let's consider the key verse of the book of Jonah. And once again, these are my personal assumptions. I've read and i studied other uh, books, but I've come to the conclusion, this is the theme that I prefer. This is the key verse that I prefer. And the key verse to me is chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Let me read it again. So the key verse is chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw their works, that they returned from their evil way, that's the Ninevites, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, that's the Ninevites, and he did it not. Now, the word repent is a powerful word there. It's a powerful word. Amen. The key, the, the key verse is uh, chapter 3, verse 10. And the key word is repent. Now, here it speaks of turning away from judgment. Instead of pouring out judgment, as they repent, the heart of God is mounted towards them. And instead of God's heart being filled with judgment and wrath, his heart is now filled with compassion and mercy towards the Ninevites. Oh, praise God. Now, the key word is found in chapter 2, verse 10. Let me read it. Chapter 3, verse 10, rather. Then God saw their works that had turned from the evil way and relented from his disaster, and that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did it not. Now, I'm reading the wrong, wrong uh, Bible. Let me get my Bible. Now, let me get my Bible. Now, let me briefly uh, go back to the key word. The key word, according to the King James Version, is the word repent. I'm going to read it to you. That's chapter 3, verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil, that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, um, the New King James Version has it this way. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring unto them, and he did it not. The word there for, for repent is relented. Then when you go to the, the, what's this version here? The New International Version, the NIV, it says this, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So, we need to do a word study, right? 
And when you do a word study on the word repent, according to the Hebrew word, which is Nachem, N-A-C-H-A-M. Let me spell it again. Nachem. I remember I told him I'm a Hebrew scholar, but I'll spell the word for repented. N-A-C-H-A-M. Nancham. And it means to be sorrowful in a favorable, favorable sense. It means to pity, console, comfort, and repent. So God had compassion towards the Ninevites. And what brought about this change in the heart of God? What caused God to repent? What and the word winning, meaning having a change of mind and attitude? What changed all that? Was well, simply because they repented. Now, I'm going to close with this. And this is my personal word on Jonah. I find it difficult to see Jonah as a type of Jesus. Yes, I do agree that Jonah is a type of Jesus being in hell for three days and three nights. Yes, I do see Jonah's second chance as a type of the resurrection. However, I cannot see Jonah as a type of Jesus in a personal sense. But let us just give the understanding that Jesus looks to the book of Jonah as a historical fact. It's not a fable. It's not a story. Where Jesus is concerned, it is fact. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we read from verse 39. Oh, let's read from verse 38 rather. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, Jesus here clearly gives validity to Jonah's book, the story thereof, of being an historical fact. And he speaks of his death and resurrection, his time in Hades, as likened unto the time of Jonah's time. We're going to close there, but I'm going to continue straight away with the, con with the conclusion of this morning's teaching. But I feel I need to pray with you. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you, God, for speaking to me concerning Jonah. Even as I had given forth the teaching, the outline, the various truths of this book, I pray that, God, you will quicken the understanding of all those that will listen to this video. And that, Father, they would take the word that I've taught and, Father, begin to apply it in their life. 
Bless us today. Bless the hearers. And give us a great week. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.